Hey, my name is Augustine Colebrook. I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. My focus is on big picture political movements that are happening within the profession, some of the controversial questions, and centering voices that are not being regularly heard. I'm Layla Wyatt. I am a traveling student midwife, learning midwifery from cultures and a lineage of midwifery throughout the United States. I'm here to center the voices of students to hear their calling, their pathway, why they chose midwifery, and even share a bunch of birth stories along the way. Greetings, I'm Jamara Amani. I am a midwife, a mom, and a social justice activist. I am here to challenge white supremacy, homophobia, transphobia, and anything that keeps people from being their best and living their best selves as we have the human right to do. And I am looking forward to sharing stories of birth justice on this podcast. Hi there, Delmar Dalton. I am non-binary, queer, transgender, midwife, and full-spectrum female. My focus is on increasing access and equity in midwifery care and midwifery education. Hello, my name is Angie Love. I am a community nurse midwife in Vero Beach, Florida, at the practice of midwife love. I also do telehealth midwifery through Midwife RX. I'm a mama, and I am committed to maintaining birth choices for all people and educating a future generation of midwives because we will not die out. Okay, I'm very excited today about this podcast episode. I'm here with Andrea Berry, and I just wanted to introduce myself briefly, and then I'll let her introduce herself. I am Angie Love, nurse midwife, nurse practitioner, practicing in Vero Beach, and also in telehealth in both Florida and Utah. Um, My practice here is called Midwife Love, includes prenatal care, home birth, postpartum care, gynecology for all, and primary care. My telehealth practice is called Midwife RX and includes provision of midwifery wisdom and prescriptions in Florida, Utah, Texas, Vermont, West Virginia, Colorado, and soon to be Oklahoma. Wow. Uh, And I also wanted to say that Vero Beach is occupied land. We are living on um, the land of the former Ais and Seminole tribes. I am a cis white woman and my pronouns are she and hers. Take it away, Andrea. <laughs> My introduction is going to pale in comparison to yours. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I am Andrea Berry. Um, I am a mommy of two amazing boys, um, a wife and a CEO of Indian River County Healthy Start Coalition. And that's me. That's me. That's I am. CEO. I like that title. <laughs> It's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I met Andrea several years back. How long has it been now? Uh, Well, Finnegan Finnegan is eight. So probably not nine to 10 years, 10 years almost. Wow. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we go back and I thought that, you know, um, we might start if you want, Andrea, telling us a little bit about your birth stories and your journey to become mama. Yeah, thank you. Um, sure. So my first um, 
My son Sullivan is now 11. And when I was pregnant with him, I was, you know, I think what I realized very quickly when I became pregnant is that we don't really learn a lot about being pregnant as a woman until you are pregnant. And that's how I hurry up and learn everything about your body and how stinking amazing it is. Um, and uh, so I did that. I was reading a lot and learning a lot and really engrossed in that and, you know, wanted to learn more about home birth. And I actually did call you for my first, you and um, the other home birth midwives, we all set, seemed to be pregnant at the exact same time. And so no one was really, in fact, I think you and uh, Tammy and I all gave birth in October of 2010. So no one was taking anyone for home birth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my husband and I were, you know, he was less comfortable with it than I was. I probably would have explored it a little further, but that seemed to be kind of a sign that maybe we should just, you know, go the traditional route. Uh, we did that. My prenatal care was underwhelming. Um, my uh, hospital experience played out exactly like um, almost every story you hear that starts with the intervention and the cascade of interventions that leads to an emergency C-section. So, um, you know, and that's how, the, and that was hard for me to process a lot because, and I remember, um, you know, when we, so my second birth was the home birth with you. So, but, so just to fast forward, I actually had blocked it out, but in the first time we went to go see you or the second time, and my husband, Chris came with me and he said something that was just, I, I had completely forgotten about, which is he said that, um, when he went to one of our prenatal meet, uh, visits that the, someone said, it was, I was like 40 weeks in a day or something. And they said, well, you could have a dead baby if you don't you know, go to the hospital and get induced right now. And he just like stored that away as like, you know, how horrible that was. And that really just tells you almost everything. You yeah, they, they play what's called the dead baby card. If you don't do this thing that we want you to do right now, you might have a dead baby. It might be you might have or you will have. Yeah, so yeah. that's what, the, and that's what they said. And so at the time, what's so funny about that is that hearing that didn't even phase me at all because they said stuff like that so often that it didn't even make an impact on me. He just happened, that was the one time he was in the room when he heard it. But he just like saved it in his memory. And then when we were finally with someone who wasn't using that fear, he talked about it. And it was, you know, it really made me realize how hard that was for him as well, you know, and how much fear really plays into how, um, you know, OB care, maternity care and prenatal care really um, is led in this, in this country. So, so that's how my first baby was born via cesarean um, on the table was still open on the table and the midwife, I should say the midwife that helped me with my birth, walked by me and said, well, now you can never have a vaginal birth. So and I was just like so devastated by number one, potentially, you know, thinking my baby was going to die then, you know, being, you know, cut open and having major surgery, um, being kind of mourning the loss of the birth journey that I wanted for myself and my child. And then hearing that, I was just like, thanks a lot, lady. Like, that couldn't have waited until a postpartum appointment. We could have talked about VBACs. No, okay. So, um, 
Can you talk for a minute just about some of those interventions that you got yeah, sure. if you want to? Yeah, I can. Um, so my water broke. So I was 41, I think 41 potentially. I don't remember. 41, 40, yeah, 41. 41 weeks long. And um, my my provider was getting a little nervous, right? Even a midwife, they were like, oh, we need to kind of you know move this along. And so I think I drink castor oil. And um, my water broke, um, but I didn't, you know, kick in the gear with the contractions. And I think if I just would have, you know, hung, potentially if I would have hung out, they got nervous, obviously, I went to the hospital. They offered me Pitocin. I didn't want Pitocin. But I hadn't really, um, I think I only had really read about Pitocin and its side effects and its ability to kind of, um, you know, the statistics regarding, you know, your, your, the, you know, you may end up with a C-section, but I didn't look into Cytotec and they offered me Cytotec and I thought, well, I don't really know about that one. So let's try Cytotec. But so I tried Cytotec, it did nothing. Um, it potentially maybe prided my cervix a little bit. I don't know. I don't remember. But then once I kind of had done that, it was like, well, that didn't work. So let's try this. And then, you know, they gave me the Pitocin. And once I was in the Pitocin, I was unable to, um, I think I was unable to move around as much as I was on the, you know, I had, so that was uncomfortable. Um, and at some point I got an epidural and I was really hard on myself for that for probably years. Like, I just think I got that epidural. I might've been able to have it, you know, my baby vaginally, um, just would have been able to tough it out lady. Like that's the, you know, self um damnation um and uh so yeah that's really it and once that happened once the epidural and i think um you actually we reviewed my notes which i recommend everyone do like if you're really looking at the um if you're really looking back on your birth and wanting to heal it i recommend that you get your notes from the hospital sometimes they want to charge you for them so um, Angie actually requested them. So they sent them to her and we reviewed them together and just kind of walked through that, like what was happening on there and that they weren't, number one, disclosing to me, or if they were, they weren't doing it in a way that I was understanding, so I didn't retain it. Um, but yeah, so those are, my the baby started to have B-cells and um, it got to the point where they, they want to do a C-section. So that's, that's what happened. Okay. Yeah. And uh, do you remember how far dilated you got to? Like 10. No, I was pushing. Oh, okay. So you were pretty close. Okay. Yeah. They were like, we can't, you can't, the baby, can't. they didn't feel like the baby could withstand. And they may have been correct at that point. I mean, I don't, any, you'll never know. Do you remember when the baby came out, if the baby was depressed or needed help breathing or did it cry right away? Cry right away. Cry right away. So it wasn't really stressed out, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And what we've learned about fetal monitors is that they can, they're good at identifying changes in the heartbeat, but what that actually means is something else entirely, you know, and you hear lots of stories of people saying, oh yeah, the heart rate was, you know, showing there were these dips and, and then the baby came out totally crying, you know? So what we're seeing in the baby is not matching what's we're seeing in the monitor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So how often do you, I mean, in the hospital when, I'm sorry, you're supposed to be asking the questions. 
So I live to learn, so I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, no, this is two-way street, two-way okay, street. Okay, good. In the hospital, um, when you would see that, how often would you see that difference? Like when you would look at, be looking at the strip and you'd be like, oh gosh, well, this is really... Whew, I would see that difference 90% of the time. Wow. So, so the strip is causing people to have C-sections for stressed out babies and babies are popping out looking totally fine. So we don't exactly know why that is. And that's why we ha- we thought these monitors were going to introduce, we're going to decrease our rates of cerebral palsy and babies having issues. And it hasn't decreased. Yeah. Um, what has increased is the rate of C-sections. Right. So is there, I mean, is there... Is there a better tool or is a better tool just observation and the art, art of midwifery? Well, intermittent monitoring um, is associated with great outcomes and low risk women um, for monitoring babies. And that means not being attached to the monitor. And that means not picking up every little blip of the heart rate. Right. And so that's what we do in home and birth centers. We do intermittent monitoring where we listen every five minutes when you're pushing. Um, and most everyone while they're pushing are going to have some D cells. It's part of pushing a baby out. The baby's head is going to get squeezed. Yeah. Um, but when you do add interventions like Pitocin, the current recommendation is to do con- continuous monitoring. When you add the epidural, the bias is to add continuous monitoring in. So in your, in your, in your case, the continuous monitoring was indicated but it still illustrates the point of the monitor strip and the things they were seeing on there look so horrible that they said emergency C-section, not just regular C-section, right? Emergency. Yeah. And then emergency. baby and baby comes out crying. Yeah. Yeah. And now they may say, well, it's because we saved the baby. And if we had waited five more minutes, you know, the baby would not be here, whatever. We just, we can't predict the future. So nobody knows if that's true or not. Yeah. 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 And so, and I'm going to talk a little bit, I want to talk about that a little bit more too, about hospital stuff and working more with hospitals as I've kind of trudged along, but, um, do you want me to talk about my second birth then? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Or do you want to ask any questions about more about that, that one? <laughs> oh, well, was, if you wanted like, to tell us about your recovery and how early motherhood was for you. Oh, it was like, it was, so hard it was so hard because I was I mean honestly I will say that I did I mean I don't want to spoil the ending for everyone but I did have a knee back (laughs) (laughs) so I did experience a vaginal birth and the recovery physically at for me not for every woman but for me was it was pretty much the same I was um sore I was you know felt but but the recovery physically was pretty much the same emotionally mentally was very different. It was very different. I was very, um, you know, just, I felt like, I felt like a total failure starting out motherhood. I was had a hard time breastfeeding, maybe potentially because of that. And my hormones being probably pretty sad and not able to maybe, you know, bomb my baby as much. And, um, and also given horrible, horrible advice by a bad pediatrician. I wouldn't say a bad pediatrician. I will say a pediatrician that gave me advice not to not to nurse until it's been two hours. Don't, don't, don't nurse, only nurse every two hours. So um, all of that combined was really hard mentally. And I really didn't feel like I was doing a very good job. And um, 
you know, my milk was slow to come in and the baby was losing weight. So I stressed out. So I was just felt like such a failure within, you know, you've been, a, congratulations, you've been a mom for like a week. You're terrible mom already. Great. Oh, that's why I can say that now because I've done a little processing all the way. I mean, I still feel teary even talking about it now. It was very hard to deal with. And, and also people coming around. I remember, you know, people, I, she, I gave birth in October. So like right away, there's like Thanksgiving people around, like, you know, people want to come see the baby. And I was just struggling so hard with breastfeeding and not able to really, you know, did not feel like anyone related to that or understood what I was struggling with. And still kind of still healing, you know, mm-hmm. from, um, from the cesarean and, um, definitely emotionally, you know, barely keeping it together. Essentially. That's really what I was barely keeping it together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> joy. And also like, you know, they, they're, you know, the, you know, just FYI, the worst thing. I mean, I think everyone knows this and everyone's probably going to listen to this knows this, but never say to a woman, you have a healthy baby and that's all that matters. Like, I really want to smack people in the face. Like, I guess I could go back in time and just be like, yeah, except I'm so distraught and and immensely upset. And I think that you're trying to help me, but you're not helping me at all. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the elephant in the room and the things that potentially went wrong and, or maybe revisit it. But like, don't say that because it's not all that matters. Like my mental health kind of matters in this situation. Like I'm going to be in charge of keeping this baby alive and, and surviving and thriving. And I I think, I think that statement is a blatant example of misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. Like women don't matter. Yeah. All that matters is this baby and you carried the baby and it's safe and you did your duty as a baby carrier handmaid's tale. So, so right. So walk away. Yeah. That's, and that's, I I did not think of it like that at the time for sure, but I definitely felt so just like stepped on. That's exactly how I felt. And starting into motherhood, you, you know, it's telling you put the needs of the baby first, you come second, you come last. Don't even think about yourself anymore. You're invisible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That none of this is good advice going into motherhood. (laughs) We need the opposite. Like they tell us on the airplanes, put your oxygen mask on first. Yes. And then you may give it to your child. And the same is needed for new mothers that you also have to take care of yourself. And actually that's more important because if you don't get a little self-care in the whole household's going to crumble. Yeah, it's really true. And that is, I would say, you know, so much of that and all that learning, well, is what, you know, led me to what I do now. It's just like learning about how, you know, much of that is happening and how little we care about moms and how little we really, you know, I think, that if I would present that too, you know, to say in, in the maternal child health, you know, public health world, I think that people will be like, no, it's not true, but it is so true if you break it apart and you really look at it. I think that there's a lot of people considering mothers and measuring mother outcomes, but are we really looking at moms? Are we really looking at what they want, what they need? And, and um, I don't think that that, and respecting them, and honoring them for what they are doing and who they are and what they're bringing to the table. I don't think that's true. No, me neither. So, so, um, so yeah, so that was, it was difficult. And, um, you know, systems wide, I definitely felt like they, they totally failed me. And so put a pin in that for a second and I'll get back to 
that later. But so my second pregnancy with Finnegan, my second baby, um, I was, first of all, so funny. We, we did not, we weren't trying to get pregnant yet. And, um, but I was 100% steadfast. I was not going back in the hospital. There's just no way I was going to go back to the hospital. I was so traumatized by the entire experience made me feel like I was so unimportant. Just, it was evident to me that the least important person in that room when I was giving birth and doing something that was super hard and was, it was, I was the least important person in that room. That's how I completely felt. And I was, there's no way I was going back. So, especially not having another cesarean, like I, and so additionally, um, you know, in, in college, I was sexually assaulted. And so a lot of that cesarean really super triggered that, like just being numb and looking up and not having control. And it was, you know, and I didn't really put that together until later, but definitely was a lot of, you know, my feelings of, you know, because I know that some women, you know, their birth ends cesarean or they choose cesarean and it does not bother them. And by the way, I believe in every woman's right to choose how they want to give birth. And if that's how you want to give birth, good for you. But for me, it was traumatizing for so many reasons that I did not realize how much of that was related to, you know, sexual trauma from earlier in my life. Yeah. Um, and that feeling like someone else is taking charge of your body. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that you didn't feel like you mattered. And that's the exact same feeling you were getting during the sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I go to, so we, I called around. And so this is just a little, just, so I got my husband's insurance. I printed out every OB on the list and I called every single one and asked them if they, they do VBACs. No, we don't do VBACs. No, we don't do VBACs. From Orlando to Miami. So that's a big wide range of people for people that are not in the state of Florida. That's a lot of people. <laughs> and what year was this in when you were doing this? 2007. No, no, that's not true. 2012, 2012. 2012. And you um, had how long in between your pregnancies? Uh, so 18 months between my pregnancies. Okay, by the time you got pregnant again. By the time I got pregnant, yeah. Yeah, so that's what they recommended you wait. You'd had one cesarean, one low transverse scar. So you were considered like the low risk VBAC. Right. And they didn't even ask me that. Just after <laughs> they, they there, was no, no. there was no inquiry of how long has it been since you're, for, you know, mm -hmm. it was only, um, what, do you have any providers that will take, will do uh, VBAC? Nope. Okay, great. Do you have any providers that will do VBAC? Nope. So every single provider said no to me. Um, and I, so I remember sitting at the table, like my little bar, bar, whatever area at my kitchen bar area and just like going through the entire list. And my husband got home and I, I was crying at the table, just like, I can't do that again. I can't, can't have another cesarean. I can't go into a hospital and, and chance this. And I, I, I want to, I want to, I want to have a home birth. I want to try to do, uh, uh, be back at home. And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was kind of like, oh, God, are you sure? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. We got to explore it. So we went to um, visit you. And I remember just the difference in the care and consideration given was tremendous. I mean, you know that I love you, but. <laughs> it was just. 
it was an entire different world from what I had experienced and just completely paid um, honor to the experiences that I just went over with you. No one, I don't think anyone had even ever asked me if I had been sexually assaulted. And that was, that's one of the typical entry questions for you. And for someone who's, you know, who's listening to this and has not had military care, it's a completely different world than anything you've ever experienced um, in an OB practice. I mean, I remember getting my blood drawn and um, the girls just like talking around me like I'm not even there because <laughs> they see like 50 people, you know, they're just like talking to each other and not, I'm not even, I could be there, not there, I could be a pincushion, I could be anything. And it just, it's a completely different feeling of personal connection and care. And I truthfully believe the first time I ever got medical care in my entire life. So we left there and I, <laughs> I remember driving home with Chris and I was totally silent. He was like, what do you think? I was like, I, I'm, I just, I don't even know what to say. Like that was a different experience I've never had before in my life. I'm so, I'm just like so excited. I don't even know how to react. And that it's possible for me to have a VBAC, and which is the first thing that we even wanted to know. Like, is this possible? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. And um, asked me questions and inquired about my health and my life, and just a whole different experience. So the prenatal care was vastly superior, just vastly superior. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I think that every pregnant person deserves that kind of care, no matter the birth that they're planning, you know, that plant that care where they get to see, you know, one or two people that they get to know them well, that there gets to be that trust established, and that their needs and wants and histories are all considered and it's not just flipping through a chart and between five to 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's such the normal that it is, um, it, if you don't know what it feels like to have that level of care, I agree, every woman should be entitled to that. And I, I wish that that's the way it was for every woman to be able to have that. And so, so we went along on our, so, uh, so, so then when I tried to get my insurance approved, do you remember this? Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so my husband is a fire uh, fireman, and he has they have a self funded um, insurance company, insurance whatever provider carrier so fund. So um, they denied my claim or my pre approval. They said, "Well, we're not going to fund this. Why? Why are you? You're crazy. You want to do a be back at home? No, no thanks." So my husband comes home. He's like, "They denied the claim," and I was like, "Well, we." I, how, why, why would they do that? And he's like, well, there's an, a, there's an appeal process. <laughs> I was like, let's do that. So I had to go in front of the board of the trust of the, of the insurance company and tell them why I thought it was BS that they wouldn't approve this and that it was my right to choose and they're really not, don't have the ability to dictate they would pay 100% if I had a cesarean in the hospital, but you're not going to pay 100%. It's literally like one fifth of the cost. Like, how does that make any sense? Like, if you're being fiscally responsible with these dollars, like, that's kind of dumb. 
they're like, well, we would be responsible. I was like, would you? Would you be responsible if I get on the operating table at the hospital and I die if a cesarean? Are you going to be responsible for that too? And they said no. And I was like, great. Then you're off the hook. And then they funded it. So they approved it. But it was so, I think it was. Didn't you cry in that meeting as well? Oh, so much. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Pregnant woman crying. How far along were you? You were already showing, right? Oh, I was, I was like seven months. Yeah. Pregnant that's a good like, strategy for anyone listening <laughs> also really like it was stressful but it was so empowering just to be it to, because you know I think I kept my choice to have a home birth as, as internal as I could and meaning like I told my mom I told my sister but I didn't I wasn't telling everyone where I was giving birth because number one I didn't want to I didn't want to have to sit explain to everyone my choice I didn't want to have to go through with everyone. Many women don't feel that way. But at the time, you know, I felt so wounded by my first birth. I didn't really feel like I I was strong enough to, to, to do that. So being able to all at once kind of sit in front of 20 people that think I'm crazy and just tell them why I'm not crazy and that I've done my research and here's the reasons why I'm doing this and and um you know yeah so that's that was great that was actually really empowering yes do you want me to talk about the birth yeah definitely all right um yeah so um my girlfriends were coming into town to actually just see me before the birth like they thought that they would just come and I didn't I was saying that the due date was in the month of May I didn't really give it a day because I was because it was so um, much stress with the first birth being like okay you're you're a week past your due date and and although I knew you wouldn't be like that it was me that I didn't want to have to like think about that so I just like in my mind it was like sometimes the month of May I don't know they said okay we'll come in the middle of May and we'll come visit you probably before you have the baby like okay great but when I came back from picking up the second one at the airport I thought my water broke, like I felt a pop and there was something on my leg. I was like, oh crap, I think I'm having this baby. You guys, you guys might be here for it. Called you, I had no contractions. And so it was really like, I was like, oh God, here we go again. I'm not going to be able to do this. Like my body doesn't do this potentially. Like this is like it's happening all over again. You came to check me and um, I was having some contractions, I think. Uh, but my water had not broke, I think, or potentially that it had torn a little and that had healed up or whatever. What is, how does that happen? Like it just moved or something like back to, I don't know, whatever. It wasn't, you didn't see any fluid on the stick. There would have been test positive for that. So I started to have contractions. And um, after that, I cooked in the gear really quick for my memory. And we were all watching a movie. You're like, oh, hang on, watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we were watching a movie, my girlfriend, you, my husband, and then uh, I was, I started contracting a lot, and then you guys filled up the pool, I went in the pool, had a beautiful birth, and I remember my husband lit candles all around, it was, it was awesome and beautiful, um, and he was born in the water, and we call him Finn, so it's like, little Finny swimming through water, and um, it was beautiful and honestly just what I needed to to re to rebuild faith in my body and my choices and it was it was great. And breastfeeding was 
easy um, for Finnegan and I. And um, so, and you know, you guys were great. You and the team, your team were amazing. And um, it was awesome to have my girlfriends with me as well, and my husband. And the postpartum here was not bad. It was physically like, you know, you're I'm sore. I didn't even know what that felt like. I had not experienced it before. Um, but again, breastfeeding was easy. And um, we came to check. The baby was great. I mean, honestly, it was anticlimactic. It was just beautiful and amazing. Your labor wasn't that long from what I remember, right? Uh-uh, it wasn't. I mean, he was born right after midnight. Mm -hmm. So you came over, checked, it was, the sun went down, because I remember we were in the front yard, and you're like, the sun went down, and, and then they gave birth, or something like that, and then, and then, the, and then he came before, um, right, like, right after midnight, so I remember his whole, my whole day was his birthday after, um, so yeah, it was really great. Okay, so how long would you say your labor was? I don't know, maybe four hours, maybe. Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah. I right. Mean, <laughs> Your body dilated easily. You didn't push that long. You know, you birthed like a second timer, right? Yeah. You yeah. birthed really nice, like a second timer. Yeah. Um, how do you remember about him when he came out? Um, you know what? It's funny is that I, I was, I was, uh, I remember, I think it was, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be honest because like, I remember I touched him. Uh, his head and he's coming out and I remember him feeling like really mushy to me <laughs> and then I was like and then when he came out he was did not his color didn't come up really quickly and I was kind of concerned so I kind of looked at you like what's gonna happen I think you did actually take him and give him some breaths mm -hmm. and um gave him back to me but so that's that's what I remember yeah, we gave him a couple breaths, PPV with the cord intact. That's all he needed. Back to you. Everything wonderful. Transitioned well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, and it was, I mean, and then he just laid on me in the tub, and I don't even know how long I stayed in that tub. I wanted to probably be in there forever. I, I you know, that's the thing is, I, I miss that part about getting in the tub, but I mean, that tub of warm water is like, the best epidural in the universe like I I know not every woman and every woman has their own birth experience but oh my gosh like oh just I remember how good that felt just like being in that warm water and just like oh my god and just just the weight being lifted it just was it just it was a whole different thing I didn't want to get out of there <laughs> <laughs> stay in there forever <laughs> you're like we gotta get out of there I gotta, I gotta do something I did care a little bit I you had to stitch you had to do some stitches but I knew it too when I was pushing. I was like, "Oh, that was not," <laughs> but it was already intense, and I was pushing really hard. So that can happen. And what can you say about the weights of your baby? They're the same. They're, oh wait, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. They're not the same. Then again, was two almost two pounds heavier. <laughs> so the hospital experience you had, they had trouble getting a baby out of you. Yeah. Um, six pounds, like six pounds, a little bit over six pounds. And Finnegan was almost nine pounds. So two pounds heavier almost and an yeah. easy birth at home in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So very encouraging story of VBAC. Very yeah. encouraging story about home birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Highly endorsed. Highly endorsed. And, you know, it, listen, every 
every mom has to make that decision for themselves. And I, you know, you have to, you have to birth where you're comfortable. I know women that are not, com- they're not going to be comfortable giving birth at home. But what I can say is, is that it's just such a huge, it's a hugely different experience. It really just truthfully is. And what I, I would love for every woman to be able to, every woman that doesn't feel like they can have a home birth, to be able to experience that level of independence and care in a hospital, that would be great. But, you know, the system is really, unfortunately, just not set up for that. And you can, there can be levels of improvement there. I, it's a lot. I mean, it would be a long walk to get you to a place where, where that could be possible, really. We have a lot of work to do. We do. Yeah. And I'm of the same mindset. I don't definitely don't think every woman should have a home birth. I think women should have freedom to birth however they want. If they want to birth at home, great. If they want to birth in the hospital, great. If they want to birth in a birth center, great. If they want to have a C-section, great. Like I am not trying to prescribe what all women should do. But I think it's very funny how a lot of hospital staff try to prescribe that their way is the only way. When many of them have never experienced the alternative. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot about that too, which is that there's a lot of um, vilification, which I knew that, uh, honestly, on both sides of the table. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'm going to skip to my profession, which is. No, hard. don't skip. Don't skip. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Go, go. Keep going. So right around 2012, I was transitioning office personnel. I knew that my current office manager that I had was wanting to leave and that I was going to have to hire someone because I needed help. I was busy home birth midwife with two children. Uh, No one child at that time. Um, And so you offered to help me out in the office and to work off part of your bill. Yeah. So we did kind of like a trade where you helped me out and we worked off part of your bill. And I can remember um, things that you helped me do. You helped me set up QuickBooks, which was really um, not something they taught me in my university master's level training at University of Miami. Um, You taught me about, you got together some uh, training binders for hiring new people, procedure binders, how the flow should be. You did so much. You got me organized. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing to hear, Angie. Honestly, I... I was so happy that you were able to do that because I think that was part of one of the negotiation tactics I used for my husband. Okay. Is that there, this won't cost us any more than it would cost a hospital. And even after I fought the insurance company, they were only going to pay for a certain amount. So, um, but yeah, I'm so happy I was able to help you. I didn't, I didn't think of myself as being that helpful to you. So I'm happy that I did that. You did. You organized, you organized me. See, I was, very organized in my charting. I pride myself in my charting and my clinical skills, but I did not learn anything about setting up a business in school. Nothing that was not really included about how to do QuickBooks. And so you came in like a little fairy godmother and got me organized in the office, which I'm sure has protected me from any attacks tax audit. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I love it. You help me interview people. You helped me get together and the person that we hired, Becky Berry, she's been with me since you left. So that was, she just celebrated five years. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was so cool to be there too. Cause I just love, I mean, 
I was kind of in awe of the system of of the of care, and also babies came in. I was like, oh, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, just hearing you know women come in and just be so happy and just it was just so apparent to me that um, you know I was still pregnant at the time, but I just like, gosh, how happy people were with the care they were getting, and I was like, I'm happy with my care too. This is like such a great, you know, it was like a it was a well-kept secret like why is everyone else doing this is so cool it's so amazing cool yeah so that was very very beneficial to me and then talk to me about your journey to getting to to work for the company that you are now so um yeah I mean at the time I was staying home with my kids and I was doing things like what I did for you, which is like just helping people out with their finances or helping people out to set up um, 501c3s, which is nonprofit organizations. Because I, I have a master's degree in nonprofit management, which includes like some finance and some tech stuff and just general business stuff. And um, so I was doing a little bit of that, like people would refer, when people would refer to me, when they'd get referred to me, I would take them on as a client, but I'd never take a lot of people on. But um, one midwife called me and she was, you know, um, concerned about there was um, an issue with Medicaid billing at the time with med with midwives and um, they weren't getting reimbursed, I think, as much or on time. I can't really remember the whole thing, but she talked to me about, you know, we really want to just start this nonprofit where we potentially could fundraise to fund, you know, um, women that can't afford you know our services and i and i i said oh my gosh i love this idea it's so wonderful but let's go um visit a few nonprofits that potentially are doing this job already like maybe we can partner with someone who's you know doing this and so we can save ourselves a lot of work if there's already something going on like this might be able to partner with someone so we went to go visit the healthy start coalition in that town which at the time was run by a man so um, we went to go visit um, and I just sat across from this gentleman and just was thinking the entire time, like, if I had your job, I would be able to revolutionize birth in this community. And I was just like looking at him like, this is what you do with your, your, your nonprofit. So we left there and I just kind of let it, let it sit and we didn't get very far with him. And um, we thought we might pursue something else. We didn't know for sure. And then uh, a girlfriend of mine, she, she said, hey, um, you know, there's a job listing I'm going to send you for the, the director of United Way in some community. I don't know. And so when I opened the job announcement, it, um, it actually opened to another county's Healthy Start Associate Executive Director. And I was like, oh, I was like, that would be really cool. I wonder what this entails. I looked at it, looked good. The job description was like, just like what I did for you, like accounting and like, you know, keeping people organized and do all like, that sounds awesome. So I talked to my husband about it and um, he was like, yeah, go for it. If you want to do it, do it. So I, you know, sent over my resume the next morning and I got a call within like, <laughs> literally an hour and they said can you come in this afternoon interview and i did and then i had the job by 
four o'clock. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, and the woman that hired me, she really was wanting to leave the job. So she was looking for her replacement really kind of a bait and switch. So, um, I was able to take over as CEO. I was, I was trepidatious to do so because I was just, um, not really wanting something so heavy, a job that was that intense. So that was five years ago, and I'm still here, plotting along, doing the good work. But that I have since, because of you know my job, because Healthy Start really was in the state of Florida, and it's not everywhere like this. In Healthy Start, uh, in Florida, were created by state statute, and each each area has its own Healthy Start. And our job, literally, our job is to assess maternal and child health. Um, and look for gaps in services and gaps in um, strengths and weaknesses and try to make things better for women and children. And with the overall goal of reducing um, infant and maternal mortality, that's really our job. So that's the overall goal to save lives. But in how we do that is very, you know, various programs, things that have to do with breastfeeding and childbirth education and so many, many, many things. But it's... Um, you know, it's it's a very if I if I reflect back on that first birth in that hospital, you know, after that birth, like I was, I mean, I had written, I I think I'd written them a letter. I got no response. Like I did not have a good experience in that hospital, and it feels so different now because right now in this job, I do a ton of business with the hospital. We fund a lot of programs for them, so you know, I am very much a part of decision making in some regards and to be a voice at the table instead of like banging on the door like screaming for my voice to be heard feels very 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 different and um you know it's and it also has given me a perspective on you know i definitely felt like um that that the providers that work in the hospital must be like some kind of evil. <laughs> I think I really like, cause I just couldn't figure out a way in my mind that made it okay for all these things to happen. Um, and I'm not excusing egregious behavior at all, but what I'm saying is that I've gotten to know a lot of these people and know that they are oftentimes just in a system that really stinks. Like our system, it's, it's awful. And it's not an excuse. It doesn't mean that they should be a part of it, but it just is, it's, it's a, something I've come to realize that it means that for me, what that means is that I can fix the system. I may can't fix probably someone who's super evil, but I could fix the system to be better. You know, I could say, oh, we need to do this better. Yes. Yes. Systems can be fixed. And no, I think that everyone that usually gets into healthcare comes in it with a good heart because they want to help people and they want to be part of a solution. But just the way and the volume that happens, it works on them too. The system, you know, has its effect on birthing people and their experience, but it also has their effect on the providers that are there. Because when you are seeing people and you have to see them because that's how they're scheduled every 10 to 15 minutes, it's hard to get to know them. It's hard to have that continuity of care where you remember their other kids. It's hard to remember all of that. And you get depersonalization, which is actually a theme in one of my other podcasts I did about reasons people burn out. Yeah. 
And that although home birth midwives have the worst schedule, <laughs> you know, and some of us are on call 24 seven, our whole entire lives, we have less burnout because we have more continuity of care and more relationship with our clients. And uh, some providers are missing out on that. You know, they know that they did a good job and they caught so many babies or did so many great C-sections. You know what I mean? But some of them are really missing those relationships that make it all feel good inside your heart too. That's a good point. I didn't haven't thought about it that way, but I that that makes so much sense to me. But of course, that's what so many of us are fueled by is relationships. And the more that I, the longer I've been doing what I'm doing, the more that it's solidified for me that that is exactly the key to almost everything is relationships. And yes, everything that we are doing, everything that that we do in life almost is based on you know building relationships and building trust or not. You know, <laughs> yeah, building bridges, you know, and we are all on the same team, which is trying to provide some really good health care um, for the people that are birthing in our communities. Yeah. So I'm really excited about so many different things that you've done while yeah. you've been the CEO at Healthy Start. Do you want to tell us about some of your favorite things you've done? Sure. Um, so. I'll talk about two of my jokes, one of which we instituted a um, nurse home visit for all mommies that give birth in the hospital. I, really, everyone in this county is, is uh, entitled to one. So we have an RN. So similarly to what you do, within the first few days, you come in and do a postpartum kind of check on mommy, check on baby, um, check out how breastfeeding's done, just check in with mom and all that. That's what we do. So we go into the home. Um, same thing, check mommy, check baby. This is an RN that does that. Um, um, and just answer any questions, check on breastfeeding and just assure mom. And then potentially give mommy referrals if she needs anything or, or family referrals if they need anything. If, you know, if they don't have anywhere for baby to sleep, we can provide that. If they need, you know, connection to WIC, we're going to help with that. If they, whatever they need, we're going to try to help them get connected to anything that they need. Um, but while while she's there, her name is our current. Well, I guess I shouldn't say yeah. The current um, nurse. We actually are adding a second one, but she's so awesome and just amazing, and she just cares so much for these mommies. And it's so oh my gosh, it's such a great, it's such a great program. And uh, we have actually, I mean, not just the fact that it's great to have someone that comes into your home and, and helps you and just answers questions, but also that um, we found we've had some mommies that were you know, in really bad physical shape because you just don't know um, and super hypertensive and they didn't, you know, you don't know what it feels like to be postpartum if it's your first baby and you haven't slept and you're not really paying attention to yourself and, you know, aliens coming in and doing blood pressure checks, like, okay, we need to, we probably need to take care of this right now, mommy, okay, we're going to do that. <laughs> and um, if that wasn't, if we weren't doing that, I don't know how those stories would have ended, you know, so that's, that's a program that I really, really love. And I think that I wish every mommy would take advantage of it because we're not, you know, coming in to judge you. We're only there to help and to assist. And we're just there to try to give you whatever you need. And if it's nothing, then okay. Or we could just drop off a book or whatever you need, you know, um, or diapers or back and play or whatever you need. So, and then, um, so that's that one program. Um, the second program is our doula program, which is a huge um, 
what well, it's probably don't tell anyone it's probably, <laughs> it's probably my favorite program okay um, i won't tell anyone <laughs> <laughs> um that's a program that i actually started it because i mean i would have probably it would have probably come about anyway but we had um i went on a home visit with one of our health educators and they said i i I have to stop by Miss Mommy's house before we go out. Um, I, I sat with her last night while, while she was in labor, and I was like, oh, do we do that? So I was brand new. And she was like, well, not really, but she was alone. She doesn't speak English, and so I didn't want to leave her. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to be associated with this organization so that this mommy didn't have to labor alone. Um, so we went to Miss Mommy's house, and you could tell she just was so appreciative and that she needed so much, like she didn't have anything. and so we're able to help her get um, a lot that she needed. But also when we left, I was like, there's gotta be, you know, we need to do a doula training for, you know, the community and for, um, for our staff members. So at least we're able to help with comfort measures or whatever. I know the doula care can probably be helpful in this situation. That way we know that, you know, no woman would have to labor alone. So we called the hospital. We just asked how many women each year, <clears throat> we have about 1200 births per year, how many women labor alone? And they said about 100 women a year labor, labor alone. So I was like, well, we gotta, at least we'll have a solution for that. So if we only do that, like good enough, you know, looks great. And we started this doula program and it just has become, you know, just a huge thing. And the, the outcomes are just tremendous of the ability to lower cesarean. I mean, all the things we already know about lowering cesarean rate, lowering, lowering um, uh, the time of uh, labor um, in our personal doula program, we measure low birth weight and preterm birth. We see a huge reduction in that um, and a huge increase in breastfeeding rate, specifically in black women. We see a huge rise. Um, so there's just, I mean, it's just become just such a huge program. And right before the pandemic, we were about to hit 200 births per year, which is huge. Um, and then we kind of hit a we hit a little bump in the row with the pandemic, but we're kind of back on track now. And we hope to. I mean, my goal with that program is that every mom would be able to have every family would be able to have a a doula if they if they chose to have one. Nice. How many doulas do you think you've um, educated through that program? About, I think eighty. Eighty. Yes. So a doula, for anyone listening who does not know what a doula is, they are an emotional support person. Um, there's lots of them that specialize in being a labor doula where they, they are there during labor. If you want, they might hold your hand or rub your back, help keep you comfortable, remind you to change positions, remind you to urinate. Um, you know, if you're afraid, calm you down. Um, if you're unsure about what decisions to make, you know, can help you think through them, doesn't make decisions for you is, you know, but just, you know, it's like a loving, kind person that's there beside you. And research has shown how beneficial they are. Um, and Vero Beach is not a humongous place. And you have trained 80 doulas in the past how many years? Um, we're working towards like four and a half, four, 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 four years, there. four years and 80 doulas. And these doulas, I feel like are impacting the births that they're at, but they're also taking that knowledge home to their families and their friends 
and helping people be more informed about childbirth, you know, and all of their options and all of the twists and turns that childbirth can take. So I think that this training program has ripples and ripples and ripples like the butterfly effect. You know, they said, you know, one little decision you make, one little act of kindness can keep on going. This doula program is like that. Yeah. I I mean, I, I love it for so many reasons. The, the first being that it really grew very organically. Like we didn't, we did not set out to have this big do a program. We didn't, but we just, you know, we were trying to fill a need that was happening and then it just grew and grew and grew. And we made mistakes. Like we, the first dual training that we did, um, you know, we had, we trained 18 women and of the 18, I think only one of them was like, Oh, I'm ready to serve doulas. I'm ready to serve mommies. I mean, they were, they were, they didn't feel very prepared to walk into the, to the hospital and do that. So we had to have a supplemental training about comfort measures. And, and so we just kind of, we just learned about how, you know, how to best train people, how to best engage them, how to best keep them active and doula care. Talk about, we're, we're talking about being on call. I mean, they are on call just like midwives, like they are on call. And I think that when we, you know, when we start to interview women, so what we do is we put out, you know, an application and we try to recruit from um, geographic areas that are more impacted by poor birth outcomes and also race and ethnicities that are more impacted by poor birth outcomes. And when we interview folks, we really do such a great job of saying, you know, we just want you to understand the level of commitment that you have to have. You have to be able to go to a birth, you know, you're on call and you have to be able to walk, you know, out of whatever you're doing to go serve this mommy. So that could be a child's birthday party. That could be a, you know, you can have a, and, and, you know, but we, but like you said, if they come to our training and they choose not to take up a contract with us um i still think that is a win and i tried really hard to impart that into any funder that i talked to um about this program because like you said they're taking that knowledge and they're going back into the community and you know in many other community deal programs they have a huge rate of no thanks and we just don't have that here because i think it's just about like the knowledge that has just grown and grown and grown in our community and people really understand um, how it can benefit them as a person. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. So um, how does the doula program work uh, from the patient person's uh, perspective? So as I said, we're always growing and changing, but right now we, um, we have what's called a maternity navigator. So if you're pregnant in Inverbrook County and you, submit um, a prenatal risk screen and you're contacted, um, or even if you're just, if you're just in in your county and you're interested in having a doula, you can just come to us and and we will connect you with the doula. Now it is, there is an income level, but if you don't, if you're over that income level, then we just um, send you a, uh, ask you to kind of pay it forward. So then we're asking you to give someone else that same, um, that same experience um that you had so um we connect you through our uh, maternity navigators and then when it when it so right now we're in the process of putting together a book that has all of our doula's pictures and their bios so that you can pick your doula or you can pick like your top 
three, and then we'll call them and see what who, who aligns best with your the timing of your pregnancy. But at first we were just, you know, Holly start does come from a world of social work, right? And so we were kind of assigning doulas. Um, but you know, as we evolve and get better, women should be able to choose the doula that they have. And although we might think, oh well, we know that this doula is really, really great, and this mommy will probably need an extra, you know, level of support. We're going to connect those two, but it should be up to the mom to make that choice as to who she has. So that's we're putting together that book right now. So that should begin um, pretty soon. And um, um, so from patient perspective, that's how it looks. And then they start to visit them. It kind of depends. We do five prenatal visits. So it, if if mommy is Intent, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety or is in crisis, we might start visiting her earlier just to help her through things. Um, a typical doula, pro, a typical doula might not, it probably won't work through the things that a healthy start doula will work through. Um, if a mom is uh, experiencing, you know, homelessness, we're going to help her connect to a safe place to be, and we're going to help her get items that she needs and help her, you know, if, if or she's in a domestic violence situation, intimate partner violence situation, um, we're going to help her walk through that. Like we are probably a little bit more intensive of a doula program than most doulas <laughs> with doula work, which is why we do the five prenatal visits, because it gives us more time to walk through those social determinants of health and thinking about the whole mom, not just your birth plan, but what else is going on in your life. I love it. I love it. And you told me some good news at the beginning of this phone call that the doula program might be expanding to other areas. Yeah. So on, um, just this morning on the, um, statewide call for all healthy starts in the state, they voted to bring the model that is, was created here statewide. So that could mean, huge things for so many moms throughout the state of Florida. I mean, what what a lot of women don't know is that doula care is a benefit covered by Medicaid. I'll repeat that for everyone. Doula care is covered under Medicaid in the state of Florida. However, it is a windy, windy road to get reimbursed um, for the doula or for the client. So, um, and then if we do have a couple companies that are very healthcare companies that are or health insurance companies that are very good about it, but there's a shortage of doulas. And so what one company in particular started to assign all of each of their clients, you're going to have a doula. And then they get, you know, they start to do that and they realize, oh, there's not enough doulas. <laughs> so, you know, and that just goes back to why our model works because we're doing all, we're doing the, recruitment of doulas, we're supervising, we're supporting them, we're providing them with, you know, act, I would say also the hospital relationship is really important for, for this program because, you know, for example, in other communities after COVID, they're still not allowed in the hospital. There's many doulas that are, we're you know, kind of fighting that battle right now to get back into hospitals. And in in our hospital that we work with, we were, we were back in, right almost right away back in the hospital doing birth and that's because we're considered part of the care team but that takes that lead agency you know healthy starts to build that bridge and say you know this 
these doulas should be considered part of the care team. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, which I always point out is that doulas also have that bridge, which just means that if they go to a birth and they see something egregious that they have healthy start to come to and say, healthy start, I saw something horrible at this birth. Like you have to help me talk to the hospital about this. And then I, so it's, you know, it's on both sides. And then, you know, I'm making sure that every single one of my doulas gets paid for their birth and Medicaid, I, I know you've written Medicaid a little bit. Sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get paid a part of what you want to get paid. It's just, it's very, um, and some of the, most of the ladies that we have working for us as doulas, they can't afford to do free work. No one should pay, have to do free work. And so we ensure that they get paid no matter what. So if it goes statewide, we'll have a lot more women getting doula services. Well, I just want to say that I am a great big admirer of you. I'm one of your biggest fans. Uh, the work that you've done, the way that it's rippled out. Um, I feel this journey, you know, that you've been on since I've met you just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and expanding. And um, many people have been impacted by your one life. And many oh. people have been blessed. And probably feel differently about their bodies, feel differently about their birth experiences, feel differently about their babies um, because you got involved and you put that mighty brain of yours and that mighty passion, you know, towards uh, an area that could really use it, which is um, maternal child health. Thank you. I want to say the same to you. You're yeah. a big part of that journey for me. And if providers like you didn't do what you do, then, I mean, I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't know. I really don't. I really don't know what I would have done. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, from this, we can glean, we need, we need more doulas. We need more midwives. We need more Andreas in the world <laughs> that have wonderful birth experiences and then want everyone else to have a good one too, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to say this too, the more that I, I think there are a lot of women like me um, who've had experiences like this that get into maternal and child health that potentially are, and have a lot of the same feelings and thoughts that I do that maybe keep them under wraps, potentially. I would say that it feels so good to do this work and to be authentically connected to your, your why and your purpose and to, to, to just, you know, be honest. And also if you're in this work and you have that experience to talk about it, um, and if you're not in this work to talk about those experiences, because it, it helps so much and to, you know, power through. And if you can't work in this industry and you don't really feel drawn to it, you know, just volunteer, be on a board go to a community meeting. All the Healthy Start coalitions in the state of Florida have coalitions. That means that they are working for you. Go to one of those meetings, tell them what you want, tell them the gaps in services. Love it, love it. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Andrea. It was so good chatting with you. And um, maybe in the links, we'll put a link to Healthy Start and people can learn more about it. I love that, thank you, Andrea. Yes.